to be continuing our series in Proverbs. This is our second week. We're in Proverbs 3 today. And uh, I think it's been amazing. I think we, we've, we've mentioned before as we went through Daniel, kind of God's sovereignty and taking us through Daniel in the time that we were in. And also, uh, I just say echo the same thing uh, as we're in Proverbs right now. Again, these were set up a year ago, more or less, that this is kind of the, the trajectory that we were going to head. We were going to go into Daniel, and then we're going to go into Proverbs, and next we're going to go into First Peter. Um, and this shouldn't be shocking to us, but every time we engage with God in His Word, it speaks powerfully into our current context and situation. And Daniel did that, and Proverbs is doing it again. And so today we're in Proverbs 3. Uh, last week we, we opened our series in Proverbs 1, and the beginning of gaining wisdom is fear of the Lord, in essence, reverent awe of God matched with a willingness to obey are both critical pieces to gaining wisdom. And what we're going to see throughout Proverbs, not just today, even though we'll touch on it a little bit, but there's going to be really two primary characters that we see throughout Proverbs, the fool and the wise. And uh, really what we're going to see is that the fool, one of the primary um, characteristics of the fool is that they cease to listen, that they cease to hear, that they think they are wise in their own eyes, and they do not listen to wise counsel or to the Word of God. Um, and we're going we're gonna to see how what the passage today has to do with combating that. As we're going through Proverbs, it's important for us to remember that Proverbs, it falls under falls under the category of wisdom literature. And so what that what that means is that as we're going through Proverbs, um, if we're not careful, we can take some of the things that the Proverbs say and basically say, okay, this is a formula, a guarantee as to how to have a good life. A squared plus B squared equals C squared type of a mentality. And Within wisdom literature, what's important is it, it reminds us that of general principles, not necessarily um, promise or guarantees. And we're going to see that even in, in this passage today. So we're going we're to get general rule of life, but know that there will be exceptions. There will be moments where it's like, hey, people were faithful and people did love God and their life still came short or somebody got sick or something along those lines. Again, when we look at wisdom literature, we're looking at wisdom principles that can be applied to all areas of life. Wisdom is not neat factoids or answers to trivia. Wisdom is taking knowledge and applying it to living. And even what we're going to see in this chapter today, chapter 3 is all about the fullness of life. It's, it's all about what Je- Jesus refers to in John 10, 10, abundant life. We're going to see today how God reveals, through wisdom, God reveals shalom to us or good success, refreshment. We're going to look and see how to live well in every area of life, at home, at work, and all around. So with that, we want to jump into Proverbs chapter 3 this morning. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to focus in on the first 12 verses, just so you know. Uh, the rest of the chapter, I'm going to let you dive into that and read through that and enjoy that. But we're going to focus in on the first 
12 verses. Let's read together. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are and what you're doing. We thank you for your word. We ask that you speak to us. Through it, God, would you use me today? God, speak through me. Cut what you don't want. And would you, Lord, through your spirit, open our hearts to receive from you. So once again, we present ourselves to you today as a living act of worship. Here we are, Lord. We are your sons and your daughters. We want to learn from you today. Be glorified during this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, I want to work a little bit backwards today. I want to start, um, well, we'll start first with identity. Uh, I want us. To, I want us to see. So this isn't starting backwards. It's starting at the beginning. But what I want us to see is how does God refer to us in this passage? He refers to us as family, my son, or my daughter. This is crucial. This is how the God of the universe sees you. How he sees all humanity. This is rooted in the Imago Dei of Genesis 1, that God made them male and female in his image. And all humanity, brown, white, whatever color, whatever race, whatever ethnicity, he's made us all in his image and he calls us sons and daughters. And as a loving father, he comes to us. He comes to us. Now, one of the things that I, uh, when I was talking about starting backwards, I, I, I want to highlight here because some might read the Proverbs again, like I talked about before, and they might try and make um, their relationship with God transactional in the sense that if I do X, Y, and Z, then God will give me X, Y, and Z. And as you look through this passage, you might find yourself thinking that some of it sounds a little bit like a prosperity gospel. Some of it might sound a little bit like if I do this, then God, you are going to give me the world. And I want to be clear, the prosperity gospel that says, give God your money and he will give you 10 times that money. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. And as you see later, actually in Proverbs 3, talks about um, 
uh, it talks about how those who are deceptive is an abomination to the Lord. The prosperity gospel is deceptive and is an abomination to the Lord. But here's the catch. The, the gospel, the truth of what we give up to God, like Paul says, is nothing in comparison to what we give back. But it's not a monetary thing. It's that we get Jesus. And if we get Jesus, it's like that song says, you can have all the world, just give me Jesus. So we see this here. We see this throughout this proverb. You also see at the end in chapter in verses 9 through 12, you, you see different seasons. You see, honor the Lord with your wealth and the, with your first fruits of all your produce. So in a season of plenty, honor God. Then my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. This is the flip side. In your low seasons, don't despise God. In your high seasons, don't forget God. Remember that you're called to honor him. And so this is a call, an invitation to pursue wisdom in all ways of life. So with that, I want to start kind of plugging through. Those are kind of the, the backdrops that I want to make sure to kind of cover now because as we move into the rest of our time, we're going to move past that. What we're going to see is that God gives shalom in this section, but there is a trusting in which God demands. So shalom God gives and trust God demands. This is what we're going to see in these first eight verses Any in, in, in particular. So he starts off again by, by calling us sons and daughters this is good for us to remember that God, he's not stuck with us. He chose us. And because he loves us, he's now coaching us in how we can be fully alive for his glory now. Remember, it's important here that as we're going through wisdom literature, we're not getting a formula. We're getting a general rule of life. Here at the beginning, let your heart keep my commandments. What's the result of your heart keeping commandments? The result generally is length of days and peace now is this true always as we might tend to think or could maybe inappropriately see this anyone in particular come to mind that exercised wisdom and perhaps didn't experience a long life or as long as maybe most people were living maybe towards the end of his life didn't experience a ton of peace at least outwardly yes a fi famous guy named jesus right who is wisdom incarnate, and yet he didn't live a long life. Well, I guess now in retrospect, you could say he's eternal, so he's living the longest life, which is true. But here, it was cut short. What God is getting at here is God's heart for humanity, to abide, obey his commands, and live an abundant life. Now, that's what God desires for you and for me. Well, how? He goes on, let steadfast love and faithfulness be something you practice on a regular basis this idea of hanging them around your neck or having them written on your heart this isn't a one-time declaration that jesus is the messiah and thank you for forgiving me this is an ongoing day after day hour by hour hide our word or hide his or word excuse me in our hearts and to live it out Psalm 1 might be ringing through your ears as we're going through this passage, and that's because there are many connecting principles 
In verse 2 of Psalm 1, it says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, or in God's word, and on his law he meditates day and night. What's the result? Verse 3, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in, in its season. And leaf does not wither, and all that he does prospers. That's what we see in Psalm 1. This is what God desires of us, but it's an ongoing day after day choice to be steadfast and to be faithful and to cling to Jesus, to cling to his commands. Well, how do we, how do, we do this? How do we ongoingly do this? And the way we ongoingly do this is that we need to trust in the trustworthy one. What is trust it's it's leaning on the word excuse me leaning on the lord it's faithfulness his faithfulness his rightness and righteousness that our god will continue to do what he said he'll do and that he's going to be faithful just as he's always been faithful this echoes exodus 34 remember this is the most quoted verse in the bible by the bible we did a whole series on this maybe two years ago, <clears throat> called God Has a Name. This is how the Lord reveals himself and shares of who he is. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God has proven himself time and time again to be the trustworthy one. Not only in the Old Testament, but almost chiefly in the person of Jesus, where, where we get to see how trustworthy is God. How trustworthy is he? Is he trustworthy? And I'd say he was trustworthy enough that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever might believe in him might not perish but have eternal life, according to John 3.16. He proved his trustworthiness even when it came at a great cost to himself. Will we put our trust in the trustworthy one? In this section, we see the Father saying, pay attention to me and my ways, trust in me, and watch what I provide. This passage is filled with the shalom that God provides, but it is connected with the trust he requires. So far we see, do not forget teaching, keep my commandments. What's the general result of that? It's peace or shalom in length of days. Steadfast love and faithfulness. What happens if that's true of you? You will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Again, we see God providing shalom, but there is this peace, no pun intended, uh, but that's connected to our trust. Do we want the shalom that God has made possible? If so, there's a degree in which God says, trust me, trust my ways. Trust what I have to say over what this world, your culture, your politics, whatever has to say. Trust me and watch what I will provide for you. Which leads us into one of the most famous verses 
in all of Proverbs. That's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and what? He will make straight your paths. So let's press into this a little bit. What is what does it look like to trust? It's to put your full weight upon. Trust is not just a declaration. Trust is much more than that. For instance, I'm sitting on a stool right now to trust this stool. I could talk about it in theory all the time. I could say, oh man, it looks well made. It sounds like if I knock on it, like, oh, it's, it's there. It exists. It's probably good. But I do not trust that stool unless I do what? I sit on it. It's to put your full weight upon. I love this, this picture that one of the commentators that I said as I was studying this, he said, one author said it this way, to trust the Lord is to do a belly flop on God. To trust the Lord is to do a belly flop on God. I was a youth pastor for a while, and um, I was at a camp up in Forest Home, and I was nominated by all of my peoples uh, to uh, represent our group in a belly flop contest. <sighs> Great. <laughs> Great. And if it's not bad enough... It's not just get up there and do a belly flop. People are judging you on your belly floppiness. And it is not fun. However, you cannot do a belly flop if you don't commit. It's impossible. Well, that's not true. There's, I've seen plenty of people <laughs> try and dive for the first time. And it's pretty brilliant. They don't make it. Uh, and they just flop. However, if you're going to do a good belly flop, you've got to commit to it. You've got to commit to it. It's this act of going up on the diving board. You jump. And then you have the choice. You can stay straight up and down and do a pencil dive and everybody can boo you. You can try and make it fancy and do a flip and try and belly flop. But the whole point is to fully let yourself go and land on top of that water and generally hurt yourself as bad as possible. Not a good idea. <clears throat> but I like this idea. To trust in the Lord is to do a belly flop on God. almost like a, a, a reckless abandon. If that is, that God is not trustworthy. But if he is trustworthy, releasing our full weight upon him might be the safest, wisest, most beautiful thing that you could ever do. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Something that many of us, if you've grown up in the church, we've, we've said, recited, declared at one point or another. But I don't know how much of us are aware of all that's going on in this area called the heart. I can today say that I'm trusting God, but that doesn't mean that that declarative statement today means that I will trust him tomorrow. You see, trusting has a beginning point, but it doesn't have an ending point. 
It's one that increases over and over and over again. Trust in the Lord with all. How much is all? All. <laughs> it's a lot. It's all of it. <laughs> and I don't even know the depths of this. So there's going to be an ongoing call, an ongoing invitation to trust and trust more. To trust and trust more. I'm going to go back to it. And I know it's kind of silly, but and maybe I'm in a storytelling mode, but I know it might be a bit of a shocker to you. But I'm actually a decent diver. I, I know. You can see it right now. I just told you about my belly flopping story. Now I'm going to tell you about my diving journey. And I know it's random, but when you dive, you've, you've got to commit to what you're doing. You've got to trust your skills, but you don't start getting better at diving right away. It's messy. It's sloppy. There's growing. There's learning. You've got to learn how the diving board works. You've got to learn uh, how to go into the water. You've got to learn how to flip, how to, when to open up, all of those different things. There is a process. I don't know about you guys, but I have a vivid memory. I don't know if it was my first time of jumping off of a high dive, but sad are the days that maybe some of us are lamenting even in this moment of the summer, you know, Sandlot-esque type days where it's hot out. We go to the community pool, and yes, they still have, because it's good, a three-meter diving board, which is 15 feet. I mean, if you're bored on a day, and there's still a three-meter board around and it's hot, watching people go off the high dive is going to be great entertainment. But it's amazing to watch people do this. I can remember that first time, or one of my first times, getting up on that high dive, Walking to the edge, like legitimately, it's wobbly anyways, but also I'm terrified. 15 feet to a six-year-old might as well be 100. It's huge. And so you get to the edge and you're like, should I do it? Should I not do it? Should I do it? Should I not do it? Should I do it? Should I not do it? And then finally, you do like the, like the kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um... When somebody like cradles you, uh, whatever. You do like this really awkward fall, like you, where you kind of like, ha, ah, like your elbows go up, your knees go up, and you just like, ha, ah, and you kind of jump into the water. And as you do, you're freaking out, and then you get into the water, and you're like, I'm okay. And then like, yeah. And like, but if somebody watched you, <laughs> you just, you just look like the most pathetic thing falling into water. But I began at, I began at that moment realizing that I could jump off a diving board and not get totally hurt. And there was like this, this trust that developed over time, slowly but surely. And like I said, I'm not a pro by any means. I didn't dive on a team. I'm not like Sean Amici good or others that are really good. Uh, but, but we got better at diving. And it was fun. I went from being that person that would slowly like, like tip over the edge of the diving board to doing... Big old backflips or one and a halfs or whatever off the high dive. And it was exhilarating. It was, it was life-giving. It was fun. And then when you hit the water, it was refreshing. It also was scary at moments. I'll never forget, I was at uh, Thousand Oaks High School. Uh, I, I was with a group of friends who we had worked on diving kind of in a silly way. Um, but at the same time, we were trying to get better and better and better. And so we had done our gainers and our backflips and our like one and a halfs. And for some reason, I don't know if it was like we had pushed each other too far or what, but like, I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a two and a half. Now I, this is where my 
well, I'd never done more than a single flip before, or one and a half. And it's already confusing if you've ever done this, of trying to learn how when to let go. So whatever, I get up there. I did, did everything that I'd done so far. I, I did my jump right. And I'm getting ready as I you know square up and I jump and I reach. And then all of a sudden I start tucking and I realize I have no idea when I'm supposed to let go. I have no idea when I'm supposed to open up. And uh, so I'm going, I'm going. And then I'm like, I guess I'll try now. Uh, and I open up and I opened up way too early. But if you've ever tried to flip fast, there's this thing called inertia. And it generally doesn't work in your favor. And I opened up too early and I slammed my face like one of like, like it was just slammed my face. And just for a moment underwater went, I don't know if I blacked out or if I just paused. I couldn't really move. I felt like one of those um, fairies in that movie that gets stunned by whatever Lumgardium Leviosa type thing happened. Uh, And I just was not moving. Thinking through my brain, that was a bad decision. Bad decision. And thankfully, things came back and I started to swim. It was fine, minus the fact that I had a mild concussion, threw up in the parking lot later. Why do I share this with you? I share this with you because trusting in something requires action, commitment, risk, and pain sometimes along the way. But as we trust in the right things, it also results in results, results, and joy, exhilaration, learning, and delight. Diving is such a silly, silly example. I was trusting in my own self. We're gonna we're, that's part of this verse. Don't trust in your own understanding. I was trusting, not even my own understanding. I didn't even know how to do a two and a half. I just tried it. But there's it takes risk, it takes time. And there's payoffs to trusting. And here God is asking us to trust him. And why is he asking us to trust him? Is it for our demise? No, it's for his glory and our good. Fox News will not make your your path straight. CNN will not make your path straight. Your stock market advisor will not make your path straight. Yahweh, our Father, and His Word will make our path straight. In this verse, in all your ways, this is crucial. We live in a world that likes to compartmentalize things that we do, right? We've got our work, our school, our sports, our politics, our faith on Sundays, our Facebook and Instagram, our TV shows. And here we're being reminded that there's no area of life that doesn't require wisdom. We have Jesus, and he's to be infused into everything. All your ways. All your ways. This, I think, in particular highlights work, vocation, and calling. Paul later says, in whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything to the glory of God. This is what the author of Proverbs has in mind in this verse, in all your ways. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In all of your Facebook posts, acknowledge him. In all of your Instagram posts, acknowledge him. In all of your disciplining your children, acknowledge him. In all of your interactions with your uh, children, acknowledge him. In all of your reading and material and things that you're studying, acknowledge him. In all of your questions and debates and concerns and heartbreak regarding race and reconciliation and coronavirus, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And he 
will make your path straight. Unfortunately, I think many of us stop reading here, but verse 7 and 8 are incredibly important, especially for all of those of us who think we've got it. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. It's an interesting statement. Refreshment to your bones. I've had some friends um, in the past. We, I've walked through um, life with a handful of guys who have struggled with heroin addiction. And they used a phrase that I never understood. They said, when you're, when you're coming off of, of heroin, or and I'd imagine maybe some other substances, there's moments where your bones feel like they're going to shatter from the inside. Feel like they're almost going to almost going to burst. That there's something that's inside of you that needs refreshing. And this, when I read this, and refreshment to your bones, this idea that there's almost like this tiredness, there's this weariness, this heaviness. How do we avoid this? Do not be wise in your own eyes. Do not think that you've arrived. Do not think that you have all of the right answers. Instead, fear the Lord. Have reverent awe of who he is and turn away from evil. There's this call for us, and I think it's incredibly important for us today, right now in the moment that we're in. Be careful if you think you stand, for then you will fall. There's so much going on in our world right now and people on both sides of the spectrum are trumpeting very loudly that they are the wise ones, that they have the answers. And there might be some truth here and there might be some truth here, but the reality is that God is the beholder of truth. He is the one that we need to depend on and he's the one we need to stand firm on. And as we listen, and as we stand in awe in our God, and we stand under, come under the word of God, what happens? God brings healing to our flesh, refreshment to our bones. I don't know about you, but to me, there are, some verses in the New Testament that are whispering or maybe screaming at us. When we think about Jesus calling his disciples, he calls us to follow him, to apprentice under him. That means to learn from him. And Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30 comes to mind. And Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest or shalom. Take my yoke upon you and, and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What does Jesus say here? He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. 
we must, must, must continue to take the posture of learner. This is true in our relationship with Jesus and the relationship with humanity. We need to continually be learning. This is why James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. God is reminding us he has shalom, peace. He has rest for us. It doesn't mean no work. Even in Matthew 11, the call is to come under what? The yoke of Jesus. What is a yoke made for? Work. But he invites us to do it with him, learning along the way. And even in the midst, there can be peace and shalom. But it does require trust, action, a willingness to learn. But not just any trust. Radical trust. Trust in the Lord with your whole heart. A belly flop of trust unto God. As I was studying for this passage, I came across this illustration. And a professor shared this story. He said his grandpa needed to cross a, a frozen river. He, he came to for the first time. It wasn't an area that he grew up around. He was unfamiliar with it. He wasn't entirely sure of the degree of frozenness to the river. So he did what most would do. At least what I would do. He got down on all fours and started inching his way across the river because he didn't know how thick or whatever this was. He was about halfway th across the river, this frozen river, when he heard what sounded like uh, rolling thunder and clanging coming up behind him. He turns around and there's four horses in a wagon going across the river full speed and goes straight across that river, no problem at all. Can you imagine how silly you might feel if you were that guy? <laughs> Here, here's this 500-pound machine thumping down uh, really, really hard across this river and just plows straight through full, full bore, like, I would be really embarrassed. But here's the deal. That guy lived by that river his whole life. And he had crossed it during winter hundreds of times. So he knew he could cross the river in that way. The sad thing is many of us operate in our time and space like that guy on all fours inching our way across a frozen river rather than running across because we know that our God is truly trustworthy. And some of us might say, well, I don't know. And yet we have his word that's been placed before us. We've had how God has interacted throughout history, throughout the ages. And yet we still are crawling around on all fours. And God is just pleading. He's asking sons and daughters, my sons and daughters. Have you not seen? Have you not heard? That I've proven to you over and over that I'm trustworthy. And I'm not trustworthy just for my benefit. I'm trustworthy for your good. This simple verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight can be something that lives on a pillow and it can be really, really neat. But it takes a lifetime of practice and turning things back over to him. Because the reality is, in the world that we live in, we have a tendency 
to cease to trust the Lord in all our ways. And instead, we compartmentalize. God, I trust you with Sunday. God, I trust you big picture with my life. But I do not trust you with my finances. I do not trust you with my politics. I do not trust you in conversations around fill in the blank. I believe, brothers and sisters, that right now in our moment, there is a major invitation from the Lord for us to grow in our trust in Him. And it will take growth. It's not a, oh, made that decision. I've got it. That's not how it works. That's why the offers in Proverbs, he talks about steadfastness and faithfulness. This is ongoing work. Trust in the Lord in all your ways, in my ways today, and if I get tomorrow, my ways tomorrow. It's ongoing. But will we trust him and his word? So often we say, yes, of course I trust you and your word, but what about when it combats with how we engage with safety, security, finances, race, the poor? Will we let God's word overrule our thinking? Will we obey even if our culture or political parties are asking something different of us? Remember, in our lifetime, we will never, we will never arrive completely there. There's always room to grow in our trust and obedience to him. But that requires action on our part. So what does he ask of us, right? Be not wise in your own eyes. Don't think that you've got all the answers. Stand in reverent awe of Yahweh, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. How do we stand in reverent awe of him? By acknowledging him, by engaging with him in his word, letting this set superior in our lives. Then many other facets that sadly we have elevated fear the Lord stand in awe of him and turn away from evil the people of God as the people of God we need to be a people who are willing to call sin sin and turn away from it not try and defend sin not try and rationalize sin not trying to make some sort of argument as to why it's been or whatever in life, as sons and daughters of the king. We don't have to pretend like sin's not there. In fact, 1 John tells us the opposite. John says, if anyone claims that sin isn't in their lives, they are a liar and the truth of the Father is not in him. And like our kids memorize in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess with our mouth, <clears throat> if we confess our sins, excuse me, that he is faithful, and he, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We need to be a people who are willing to confess sin as sin, to call out sin as sin. That's what it means to turn away from evil. We must be a people who stand and turn away from evil. We need this. 
Are we going to trust in the Lord with all our heart and in all our ways acknowledge him? Be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. And what will happen? It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Do we, right now, in our current setting, do we need healing of our flesh and refreshment to our bones? Brothers and sisters, I think our hearts would say yes. Our hearts would say yes. And praise God that we have Jesus who is our advocate. As John goes on to say in 1 John 2, 1, if, if any of you do sin, praise God we have an advocate, one who, who is there. It's Jesus Christ who covers our sin. But let's be a people who grow in our steadfast, unwavering commitment to God and his word above anything else. I know my diving analogy was a little weird comparing that to trust. I know, I get that. However, I want to pull one more thread from that story. Do you want to know why I started growing in diving? I didn't watch like Greg Luganius and be like, whoa, that's what I want to do. No, and I never got that good. I had a small, amazing group of goofy friends that for some reason decided to not just jump off high things and make big splashes, but together wanted to push each other and learn how to dive better. It wasn't a large group of friends. It was like four of us. And honestly, we never even got that great. It was a lot of fun trying. But my whole point in this is if we're really going to grow in trusting God, one of the most amazing catalysts he's given us outside of his spirit is each other. If we grow in trusting God together... Can you imagine the impact slash splash we could have on this world? Yes, it starts with us individually, but we are called together to trust God. But if we are going to truly trust God, we start with him. Is he trustworthy? And if the answer is yes, then we need to trust him above ourselves. We need to sit under him and learn from him. We need to let his words supersede our culture and our personal desires. And we need to push each other, call each other out, challenge one another, and together grow in trusting God with all our heart and watching him together make our path straight, not just my individual unique, hyper-unique path, our path together as the church straight. But it starts with humility and declaring that, yes, God... You truly are trustworthy. Would you help me grow in trusting you in all ways, acknowledging you in all things, and faithfully walking as you straighten our paths? I wish we could be together right now and I could be looking at you seeing what's happening. I, I don't know. I, this is, again, the strange medium in which we're in. But I hope at bare minimum, the Lord is stirring in you and you're hearing his invitation to grow in your trust of him, to belly flop onto God because he is that trustworthy. 
And my hope is that even in we're in this kind of separated time where we can't have a large group of us together, that you can find a group of three to five goofy people who love Jesus and say, we don't have it all. But you know what? We want to grow and trust in God and always. There was a ragtag group of about 12 who didn't have it all, who didn't understand everything, who were rather unlearned, crude, came from funky backgrounds, who came together and said, where else are we going to go, Jesus? You have the words of eternal life. You truly are the Son of God. And this ragtag group of people came together and legitimately the world was changed because they chose to trust the living God above everything else. Would the Lord be stirring us toward that end as well? So let's read it one last time. We're going to read five, six, seven, and eight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. And turn from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your.